Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. The title of my message today is Do This and You Will Live. Do This and You Will Live. Jesus is talking about really living. He's not necessarily talking about the living that we imagine that we're doing on this planet. He's talking about the real life. He's talking about an eternity that is without time, without boundaries. He said, do this and you will live. As I said, we're in a unique moment in which God is calling his church to action. Do you know that there are times and seasons when God winks at sin? There are times and seasons whenever God has a smile on his face even though he sees us doing wrong, even though he sees people doing wrong, nations doing wrong, even though he sees generations going the wrong direction, making mistakes, yet he sits back and smiles and gives us an encouraging word. You know, uh, you, know you can easily see that in your own nature. Those of you who are parents, who have raised children, who perhaps have done something you didn't want them to do and you were hoping they would self-correct, you knew that they would find out right down the road that they need to do it a little different. Sometimes we correct them verbally, but many times we kind of put a smile on our face back up and watch them, you know, make their mistake, their little mistakes, and then we help them through those little mistakes here and there. Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, we, we can't afford to let them make huge mistakes without our intervention, without us trying to correct or trying to, to, to speak into that situation. But many times when, when children are just going the wrong direction, whenever they're doing something you know, that, 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 uh, that needs to change, many times we will provide some gentle instruction, some gentle encouragement. We'll set up some barriers, but we step back and watch them. Well, I believe that we have been in a season like that in times past. But I think something has changed of recent. There comes a time in a parent's life. There comes a time in a relationship between parents and children in which the parent has to step up to the plate in a little more firm way, with a little more firm hand, with a little more direct encouragement, instruction, correction, even with a voice of command. It doesn't always mean that the child is going to do what they're being told to do, but it does mean that in this time and in this sense, the Father in heaven has decided to step up to the plate, to step into the light here, and to no longer wink and no longer smile and no longer just allow us to, to hear a gentle encouragement and correct ourselves. God is speaking from heaven about some things that He does not want to continue. And that's fair. It should be that way. I mean, we should come to a place where we understand that Almighty God does not want this to continue. It's fair, right? I mean, it's a whole lot more fair than a parent reaching out and smacking you once you have crossed a line that they no longer can accept. They should let you know. Well... Uh, we are in a unique moment, I believe, in which God is calling His church to action. This means you, by the way, you are the church of the living God. The world has never experienced 
never before in history experienced such wholesale danger as the worldwide danger that we face today. We're not just in another generational evolution. I'm telling you, the devil has captured this world system, and our children are at risk. We should be alarmed. Not afraid, but alarmed. Alarmed and moved to action. It's time to cease being frustrated and get motivated. Get educated and get motivated. There are much bigger problems in our world. We face much bigger problems than the problems that are being presented to us. We face bigger problems than mask mandates and forced vaccines and the passage of infrastructure bill that has little to do with infrastructure. While all those things are important in their place, yet we are facing a much greater enemy. And we need strength to stand up and to speak up. Social and political justice should be byproducts. They are byproducts of individuals and communities coming to Christ. Social justice, social reform, social and political justice are byproducts of people receiving Jesus Christ in a new and a living way and taking them, taking that new Christ, that new relationship, that strengthened relationship with them when they leave their homes, into their communities, their schools, their workplaces, unashamedly and without compromise, without allowing the darkness that wants to pervade our nation and, and cover our children and, and divide our families, without allowing the fear that comes and the intimidation that comes, without allowing those things to censor us about the loving, living Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, without without us becoming afraid to introduce him into every situation, every circumstance. You see, social activism without Holy Spirit-led evangelism is just loud voices marching in circles and trading places while the whole world goes to hell. We are not in a season of God winking and smiling at sin. We are in a moment when God needs us to act. Stand up, speak up. The whole world's in trouble, by the way. And let me tell you once again, as I shared this past Wednesday evening, the government cannot fix it. Don't think that they can. You're just spitting in the wind. You're just, you're just blowing you know, in, 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 in the air. The government cannot fix it. You are the government. You are the ones. We are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And the government cannot fix it. Organizations cannot fix it. We must realize that guilt by group, identity politics, critical race theory, cancel culture, political correction, correctness, revisionist history, and stimulus checks are not the answer. Let me repeat that. I didn't do it justice. Guilt by group, 
identity politics, critical race theory, cancel culture, political correctness, revisionist history, and stimulus checks are not the answer. Don't be a good host for a bad idea. I have the real answer. Thank God we have not been left without a real answer. And the real answer is Jesus Christ. And our governments will get better when our homes get fixed. Our communities will grow whenever we grow our children in the right way. Our schools will get fixed whenever we insert ourselves into that arena and we demand that the things which are holy and right and good and true and pure be taught in our schools. But it must begin on the local level. It must begin with you. You cannot fix a national problem. You can only fix a you problem. And you can only influence people around you that see a changed you and want to be like you. You can never fix the big picture. You can see the big picture, but you can't fix the big picture. You have to fix it right here first. I have the real answer, and in order for us to look at that answer, I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke, the 10th chapter. Luke chapter 10. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. In Luke chapter 10, once again, Jesus is going to be tested. He's going to be tried. Tempted is another word. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a pretty good question. It would be well for every person to ask Jesus this question. What shall I do? What can I do to inherit eternal life to make sure that this is not it for me? To make sure that I don't go to a sinner's hell separated from God for eternity. What shall I do? Well, you know, this certain lawyer. This certain lawyer was a very specific individual who was an expert and a teacher of the religious writings of Moses. Not what you might imagine to be an attorney today, but, but, but a lawyer. In fact, the book of Mark calls him a scribe, one who was educated, one who was schooled, one who was very familiar with the law of Moses and would teach others the law of Moses, and when they would wrong, were, were wrong, would argue with them in order to correct them and bring them back in line with what God's Word intended. But the Bible says this certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus. He tempted him. He tried him. Here this certain lawyer had a goal. He wanted to prove Jesus wrong. He wanted to prove that everything that Jesus was teaching was not right and what him and his government, his leadership was teaching was right. He was a part of the then-day government and leadership, the recognized government of the day. And so he confronted Jesus in an attempt to prove Jesus wrong and to find a reason to scold Jesus in public, to shame Jesus in public. There's been a lot of public shaming going on, hadn't there? 
He's trying to find a way that he can shame Jesus in public, that he can scold him in public, that he can teach him in public, that he can correct him in public, thereby bringing Jesus down underneath the current law, underneath the current leadership of the land of which he was a part. This was done in a public setting so as to give advantage to this scribe, to this lawyer, to this teacher. What did this teacher want to do? The teacher wanted to affect public opinion. That's why he confronted Jesus in public. If he'd cared about Jesus, he'd have went to him in private. That's what the Word of God encourages us to do. If you've got a problem with somebody, go to them in private. But whenever you call them out in public, whenever they're sharing something, and you call them out and confront them in public, you are hoping to change them. You're hoping to make yourself look bigger and them look smaller. He was trying to bring Jesus down. Shame Jesus. Scold Jesus. And that's exactly what the world is trying to do to you today, is to shut you up by shaming you, by scolding you, by correcting you, by making you a public example and to affect public opinion against you and whenever these things are done in public there is a public impact it's the art of impacting public opinion just being questioned just being confronted by an authority in public sets the stage and creates a negative view of the person being confronted or being questioned I mean, have you ever driven by someone who has been pulled over by the police and they've got three policemen there and they've got them out of the car and they got the trunk open? What do you think about the person they stopped? You don't know a thing about that person. But it sets a public opinion. You ever see people up in front of a congressional committee being questioned like a dog, being treated with shame and disdain, being tempted, confronted, argued with, made to look small. And the person who's doing this chose a public moment to do it and controls the narrative. And so it ends up that because they are the government, they can make you look like you're guilty of something. You're hiding something. It's aimed at, like our congressional hearings, aimed at impacting public opinion well i love how jesus offers no defense of himself here or his position rather he just puts it back on the accusers you know because they love to talk and you let them talk long enough they're going to dig a hole okay you let the devil you know talk long enough he's confused he's really confused okay <laughs> and all of a sudden it begins to look that way to everybody He's asked, you know, he's tested. He's testing Jesus, confronting him in public. Verse 26, and this scribe said to Jesus, well, no, excuse me, Jesus said to the scribe, he puts it back on the scribe. The scribe said to Jesus, he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back to the scribe, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? You tell me. What do you think? What's your takeaway? What do you think it takes? Well, the scribe answered and said to Jesus, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, 
That's what, that's what it says. <laughs> and he was well-schooled in what it said. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. You do this and you will live. This was the absolute truth. Jesus had not yet given his blood, and the law was the only hope they had in order to please God and keeping the law and doing these things. But Jesus understood that this man was not doing that because no one could. And so the man, realizing that what he had answered was true, but he wasn't doing it, decided that he needed to justify himself. You know, many times uh, this is just what happened. And it, it would have stopped right here had it not been for the scribe's need to justify himself. Because the answer he gave, he wasn't living because, you know, I mean, he couldn't, he, he couldn't uh, you know, claim to be living the way he just described he was supposed to live. Of course, Jesus knew that he would not be able to leave it laying there. And Jesus was setting him up, ready to reveal the real truth, God's ultimate plan. Well, do this and you'll live. Verse 29, but, but the scribe, wanting to justify himself, wanting to justify why he wasn't doing it, you know, wanting to uh, you know, you know, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, okay, that's good. Do that then and you'll live. Well, 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 well wait, 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 wait now. Let, let, me, let me throw this. Well, I, um, who is my neighbor? I've got you there, Jesus. We're so quick to justify our actions and even our inactions. <laughs> However, there is no justification for failing to love God and to love others. There is no justification for loving God less than you do yourself and loving others less than you do yourself. There's no justification for loving yourself more. You should love yourself, but not more. Well, I don't even know who my neighbor is. I'm not even sure what this is talking about. You know, it's easy to ignore problems that you don't have or you think you won't have. However, we need to make some problems we don't have our problems anyway. Now, I'm not talking about becoming codependent or enabling, okay? I'm talking about putting some of the needs of other people on our plate. We do need to put some of the needs of other people, of other nations, of other people groups on our plate. We need to put some of the needs that other people have that we don't have on our plate. That's what the Word of God says in Galatians, that we should bear one another's overloads. We cannot help everyone, but we cannot expect the government to help anyone. We cannot expect ourselves to help everyone. We cannot expect the government to help anyone, but we all can help. At least one. We can all help at least one. Boy, if I could just get you to help one person. If I could just get you to help. Really help. Really pour your life into. Take someone else. Take a portion of their needs. 
If I could get you to help one other person, we could get this thing cleaned up pretty quick. We could get our schools cleaned up pretty quick. But who is my neighbor? I mean, who? In John, the first chapter, excuse me, first John, rather, Chapter 3, verse 17 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? You have more than you need. You'll go to bed tonight with food in your stomach, most likely. And most likely in a bed. And I imagine that you'll have some source to cover up with, some water to drink. You know, just this week, I listened to the biography of a young woman named Yonmi Park, Y-E-O-N-M-I Park, P-A-R-K. She's about 28 years old now. She was raised in North Korea. She was raised believing that North Koreans have it better than anybody else in the world. She was so proud to be a North Korean, absolutely so glad that she was born in North Korea, so glad, so privileged to be such, such, uh, so blessed, so privileged to be a North Korean, that North Koreans had it better than anybody else in the world. That's what she was told, that's what she believed, that's all she had heard, and she believed that she was so privileged to, to, be, to, to be a subject of her king. Now, she absolutely knew nothing at all about loving her brothers or sisters. She didn't feel that. There was nothing, I mean, she was never taught, or her, or her parents. And there was no such thought, no such even word or concept for romantic love. All the love that she understood, and the only way love was ever talked to her or told her, was love for her king. She understood that history began with his birth. That history did not, you know, she never heard anything, a big bang. She never heard, uh, you know, that Jesus Christ or that, that you know, nothing. There, there was no time before her king. Now she's giving this testimony herself. She never heard of internet. There was no such thing as internet, no word for it, and no concept of it. She never, no, no, no. North Korea was the best place to live. It's, it's, we are so privileged. We have it better than every other person in the world. Even though she stepped over dead bodies every day, every day, every day, over multiple dead bodies, even though she watched rats eat children who died in the streets from starvation every day, she was a part of the children who would chase the rats and try to catch the rats so they could eat the rats. Even knowing that many of the children who ate the rats would, would get a bacteria from, a, a, from the rats and would die themselves, yet they would die with a full stomach, and that was their hope. To have a full stomach was the best, but they had it better than anybody else, even though, they, because they had one train. And, and, and many times, many times, they had to push the train. Push the train. No electricity. 
At nighttime, when lights went out, everything was dark. When the sun went down, everything was dark, 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 dark. The only lights that she could see, because she lived close to the border of China, the only lights she could see were, were, were lights in the distance over the hills, over the mountains, that coming from China. They, had a, well, they lived close to China. And so she and another guy started talking about it and thought when, when, when she was 13 years old that maybe... Maybe they could go to where the lights are and they might find a bowl of rice. They had heard that where the lights were, they had, they, they had a bowl of rice. They had bowls of rice. Oh, wouldn't that be great to have a bowl of rice? She believed that she was living and, you know, she was pledged her life to her king and absolutely just believed that she was in the best place. But of course, you know, I mean, I would like to have a bowl of rice instead of chasing rats around. And at 13, through a process, and if you want to uh, you know, connect with her biography, you can look at easysermons.com, and I have a link in my notes uh, to that. Or you could just you know, Google, you know I me, mean? Parks, Park, singular. Uh, at 13, she ended up, she and her mother, being sold, sold as sex slaves by a woman in North Korea, who took him to the border and bribed the border guards and sold her mother for less than $100 and sold her for $300 when she was 13 into sex slavery in China, where she was in the sex slave industry for a while there, being kept again in the dark and just being, uh, you know, beaten and, and, and you know, uh, screamed at. And, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, she ended up, you know, uh, her and her mother being sold to separate people. And she was 13 years old. This was, you know, but, but she was alive and she did get the bowl of rice. So she was happy about the bowl of rice. A couple of years later, she sold her mother helped her mother escape, and resold her mother. Her mother said, sell me to get some money to escape because they were starving again, even in China. So she sold her mother at her mother's request into prostitution again so that she could get some money to eat at 15 years old. She ended up in South Korea. When she got to South Korea, was smuggled uh, through Mongolia, and got to South Korea having walked through uh, Siberia and in, in the cold of winter and still does not know how she made it. When she got there to South Korea with the help of some Christians, she was absolutely shocked at what she saw. And when she was told that, that being a North Korean is not... You're not the most privileged people in the world. <gasps> what? Your king is a bad king. What? No, you were abused, huh? You were tortured. What? Rape is wrong. No. She, she didn't just believe what they told her because she said if everything that I have ever known is not true then how can I believe what they're telling me is true I don't know what is true I'm so confused how do I know what truth is well you know some people are stepping over dead bodies today watching rats eat their neighbors 
and chasing the rat themselves and thinking that they have it the best that it can be. They don't know. They don't know that there's a whole world of us out here who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we have peace in our hearts and joy in our homes. We have a victory that is beyond this world. We have a hope that endures. We, just like Jesus is trying to get across, trying to get across to this man that you don't understand. You know, there are so many needs out here. You know the one thing that makes Yomi mad? When asked, what are you mad about? Oh, there's so many things she could be mad about. And she lives in depression most of the time. Because she's an activist and she's still trying to get people out of North Korea. She's, she's pledged her life to that and her money and everything else to getting people out of North Korea. She said, she said she saw, uh, she saw like a, a telephone, something like that, when, when she was in South Korea. And, you know, they were raising money. People were so happy and they were excited. And, and, all, and she said, oh, I got so excited. People are doing something. They're raising some money. They're going to do something. And when then she realized it was for pets, for animals. They were raising money to help animals. She said, while animals are being helped, my people are dying. They're being eaten by rodents. She said, I could not believe that people were, were giving their lives, trying to make a difference, to clean up some air, and to, and to, which are important. But, but it's just so many bigger things on our plate than just whether or not you know we can build another road or bridge i think god in heaven is looking down and seeing more than he wants to put up with right now i think he's seeing a lot of people imagining they're doing okay eating rats while other people are chasing rats and the rat can be money and wealth and fame and fortune. And, but I'm telling you, the things that need to change in this world are byproducts of people coming to Christ and giving their lives to Him. You cannot change the devil. You have to change people's perspective on who the devil is and what the devil wants and how Jesus Christ has come to give them life and give them life more abundant. Verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from, Jer from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Jesus is about to teach this, this, this scribe something. What shall I do in inherit eternal life? Well, Love God more than you do yourself and love others as much as you do yourself and you do this and you will live. 
Well, uh, you know, uh, who is my neighbor? Let me justify myself. I don't see anybody around me. I'm not stepping over dead bodies. You know, I'm not seeing anybody starving. You know, I'm looking for the next cute puppy. That's about my biggest problem. Jesus said, well, there was a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's going down. That's 3,382 feet in sea level change. He went down. Metaphorically, he went down from a mountaintop to a valley, from protection to exposure, from walled cities to open borders. He went down. A certain man, Jesus didn't say who the man was. He didn't say whether the man was white or black or Hispanic. He didn't say whether the, whether the, uh, the, the, the man was, was uh, gay. He didn't say whether the man was uh, you know, uh, rich or poor, young or old. He didn't say anything. He just said that a certain man. He went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell. It surprised him. He tripped. He fell. He wasn't expecting it. Something happened, and he was not expecting it. And he fell among thieves. Thieves represent the devil. The devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He fell among thieves. It surprised him when he was stripped of his clothing. It surprised him when he was wounded. It surprised him whenever, whenever he was left half dead on his journey that he decided to take. He lost possessions. He lost health. He lost hope. Verse 31, Jesus continuing, Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. <laughs> what do you mean he passed by on the other side? Well, you know, getting dirty and uh, or, or, you know, staying clean was a professional necessity. Hello? How many of us face professional necessities to not have our reputation ruined by consorting with people who need help? You know, they accuse sinners, uh, Jesus, of always hanging out with sinners. Jesus said, well, <laughs> why wouldn't I? They're the ones that need the help. The priest passed by on the other side. You know, he just, he just had a a hard habit, a habit that was hard to break. He just didn't want to get his hands dirty. He just, he just didn't want to get involved. His, his profession, he just didn't want to get involved. Have you ever been in a place where you professionally just don't want to get involved professionally? I mean, I could help you, but professionally, I don't want to get involved. It could, it could you, know, you know, it could make me stick out, stand out. Verse 32, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. <laughs> um, it's the, I'll take a look, but I really don't want to get involved. I really don't want to do anything, you know, syndrome. Um, he was interested, he wanted to know, but he was not motivated to help. Of course, neither one of these individuals even prayed for the man. But a lot of good prayer would do. With a man laying over there, injured, hurting, half dead, I would have been insulted if I'd have heard him praying for me. 
I just said, take your prayers and go somewhere else, buddy. You're not going to help me. You know, you could bandage while you're praying. James, the second chapter, said, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. What does it mean? Oh, God bless you. God bless you. Don't roll your window down and say, God bless you to a homeless person. Not unless you, you slip him five bucks or 15 bucks or 20 bucks. He might receive your God bless you then, but your God bless you before you give him something. It's just going to be like them, you know, bless that man. He's laying on the road there dead. God bless him. You're not doing any good. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're doing any good until you do some good. One of you says, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but... You do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? It profits nothing. You might be saying, preacher, are you trying to guilt me into, into helping people? Oh, if it were only that easy, you bet I would. Yes, I would, 100%. If I had conviction power, I would throw it on you out of a five-gallon bucket right now. I'd drench every one of you in some conviction guilt. If I don't, who will? And if we don't, what will happen or what will not happen? We can't, who is my neighbor? We, we can't just leave it up to other people. Not everybody is somebody else's neighbor. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. <laughs> You know, a foreigner, a stranger, someone considered unclean, saw this man and had compassion on him. Finally, someone did something. Verse 34, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You know, the bandage, the oil, the wine, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, the Word. And, 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 and uh, you know, evidently this Samaritan walked so this other man could ride and look what he did he took care of him he took care of him personally and then he took care of him he got him some professional help he didn't quit after the first band-aid he put him on his own animal and he took him to an ark of safety he took him to a church in today's metaphor he took him somewhere where he could continue to get help we could find rest and peace for his soul. He connected him to someone who would continue care. Verse 35, on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, this has got to be the most direct commandment from Jesus that you will ever hear how do I inherit eternal life go and do likewise go and love God more than you do yourself and demonstrate your love for others that you love them as much as you love yourself you know I'm I'm in no way close 
to being finished with my notes. But let me sum it up today by saying, you will never help everyone until you help just one. People in need are not a bother. They're an opportunity. An opportunity for you to meet a need and then to bring them to Christ. To share the love of Jesus Christ. Nowhere does it say whether this man who was helped turned his life around or not. We don't know anything about him, but that's not the point. Jesus is needing somebody to step up and get involved, to not be afraid of getting their hands dirty without respect to what this other person may, may have gone through or what put him there. That's not the point. The point is that we need to get involved. We need to get out and get involved in helping someone. You know, as a church, we help a lot of people collectively. But I need you, God needs you to get your hands dirty personally. To personally bandage some wounds. To personally pour in some oil and wine. There's somebody. You don't need to help everybody. But you can help one. And you need to get them close enough to you to where you're really helping. And it's not just a God bless you, here's a $5 bill. But that rather you invest your life in their life. Make an investment. Find just one. Between now and the time that Jesus calls you home, find one person that you can help to know Jesus like you know Jesus. And then, with your dying breath, encourage them to just help one. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.